kids need to have empathy in their hearts because when they get older, they may be the future Fortune 500 company owners. And we want to make sure that they can run their company, but also be able to relate with others. Welcome to the third season of the Good Tidings Podcast, where we highlight and inspire a community of givers with your host, the founder of the Good Tidings Foundation, Larry Harper. Today's episode finds us just north of the Golden Gate Bridge in the town of Marin City with my friend, the founder of Play Marin. So welcome to the Good Tidings Podcast, Paul Austin. No problem. Thanks for having me, Larry. I appreciate it. So we first met through our mutual friend, Jennifer Azy, basketball legend. And first, tell everyone about the uniqueness and history of Marin City and how no one should confuse it with the city of Marin. Absolutely. Absolutely. So Marin City is actually an unincorporated area of Marin. So we're not a city currently. But the history of Marin City goes back a little bit more than 80 years, or we say 80 years, like this was a big year for us. We did a lot of celebrating the 80th year of Marin City. Marin City was birthed out of World War II, essentially. A lot of folks migrated from the South to come work in the shipyards. So that's where my story started, is both sets of my grandparents fled the South looking for a better opportunity. And they landed right here in Marin City, and they worked in the Sausalito shipyards, which was once a huge melting pot of people that worked here and lived here in Marin City, because everybody worked in the shipyards, right? Without the, I think, 92 Liberty ships that was built out of Sausalito, then, you know, what would have happened in the war? So I try and let folks know the importance that Marin City played in the actual war or World War II. Interesting. And then from that, the people migrating from the South, then the war ends and shipyard work dries up. Then what happens to all these people that have moved here? Well, all the people that moved here that was in Marin City, white people was able to move throughout Marin and buy land at will. Black people was redlined just to Marin City. They wasn't able to go buy land outside of Marin City. So Marin City at one point was 92% black. But over the years, it has flipped because we are five minutes away from the Golden Gate Bridge. So property values, while yet they're low, the land is rich. And that's always been an ongoing fight. We have the biggest population of public housing with over 300 units. We do want to make sure that public housing stays to make sure that people, especially low-income people, have the same opportunities of this beautiful landscape that we have in back of us, as well as being so close to the water and to the bridge. Tell us a little about people that don't know what redlining was. So redlining was essentially determined within not only counties, but states and also federal, where a lot of communities that was deemed poor or from an economic standpoint didn't have a lot of benefits. So what you would see is just a map being drawn and they will say, hey, in these areas that's outlined red, we're going to make sure that they don't get good loans and they don't receive a lot of the benefits that one should. And most of these communities were all black communities. And I imagine, because from the Good Tidings standpoint, this is our 28th year and we'll get to why we came here. But 
people hear Marin, North Bay, Sausalito, and services just think there's not a need. And my first concern is, is the public housing in jeopardy because land values here are just, I'm sure, unbelievable? Or is this community safe? No, we're not safe at all. So here's two parts, right? So yes, we know that Marin City as a city has always been looked upon as how can we get our hands on that community and be able to, if need be, realtors will love to flip it and sell it and do high rises. So it's called Golden Gate Village is our public housing area. And especially over the last 15 years, it's been a true fight to figure out what's going to happen because they deemed it. The living conditions are pretty bad right now. It's the worst that I've ever seen in public housing. And so when you start talking about redevelopment, well, what does that mean? Is it redevelopment with no displacement? Because we do know once people get displaced, nine times out of 10, they're not coming back. And so we're seeing gentrification happen really fast underneath the cover of redevelopment. We saw it happen in the Fillmore District. We're currently watching it happen. Well, we've seen it play out in Oakland, West Oakland, and also right now in Hunters Point off of 3rd Street, we're starting to see the same thing happen. And so I'm super nervous, right? Because I know something needs to happen with public housing. They need to go through some sort of renovations, but I do not want to see anybody get displaced because once you get displaced, then almost 30% black folks that's currently still here, those numbers will dwindle even more. Yeah, we're seeing it. Good tidings when we started 28 years ago, East Palo Alto, huge need. And now homes there are close to a million dollars. Even in the Tenderloin in San Francisco, that has shrunken down to maybe two blocks. So that's a concern. So I want to get to the fact that, you know, of this great nonprofit that you started called Play Marin, right here in the mix of the public housing. Tell us about the motivation and the mission. Yes. Yeah, so I'll start with the mission first. So our mission is to be able to to get kids together from different backgrounds to essentially just play with one another. But what I did for that and the motivation about it is I know firsthand what sports did for me growing up here in this community because you grow up here in your K-5 community, K-8 community, where you know everybody. But once you get ready to go to high school, you go to the neighboring city, which is in Mill Valley, and you go to the high school and you become 3% of the population. And so you could really get lost at the high school if you don't have something that you feel tangible about. And sports did that for me and my friends and other folks from this community. And so when I left, I left Marin City and went to school. I was blessed to go to school in the South at Texas Southern University. And I ended up living in Houston for a little bit more than 10 or 12 years. But when I returned back in Marin City in 2009, right after the market bottomed out, the landscape wasn't that anymore. I didn't see a lot of kids of color playing organized sports. So I essentially said, I want to do something about it. And I just started with one basketball team, all volunteer. And then from that one team, I started seeing the growth of kids starting to play. And then started getting more kids from the other surrounding areas of Marin County wanting to come and participate on our programs here in Marin City. And I started asking parents, you know, why do you choose to pass up or come from San Anselmo or Tipron or Ross 
And these were parents. Some of them had money. Some of them didn't. Some kids was a kids of color. Some kids was white kids. But they was very honest. And they said this is the only way that their kid can have some diversity in their lives is by coming down and participating in our programs. And so that meant a lot to me around the importance of diversity, equity, inclusion. But then also for me, I always have this saying here in Marin County, I want to close the activity gap. I want underprivileged kids to be able, once they're out of school, to have a variety of opportunities for them to participate in. So if that's basketball, girls volleyball, track and field, lacrosse, going kayaking, sailing, surfing, mountain biking, you name it, we try and provide that. Because even me, as a grown man, grew on up here in Marin City, I didn't realize how accessible the water, going kayaking or surfing could be. I just didn't think it was for me. Now that I've gotten older, I was like, oh, these activities are for me. They're right here. I need to be able to take advantage. And then, like they say, if you could see folks that look like you out there, it means a lot. So by me taking groups out there, hopefully it's going to not only inspire them, but inspire other kids that may see a group of black and brown girls out surfing. Well, that's what I love now that you've incorporated the environment that you're in, which is this beautiful North Bay space. So I do love that, exposing the kids to that. Is helping the kids getting into organized sports, which helps them in the social aspect of high school and further, just as important as the diversity piece? I mean, diversity piece is the unique thing. And I'm seeing more charities doing that where it's just not about the most children of need, but let's combine wealth and need kids. Absolutely, right? Because when you combine kids from whatever backgrounds, the variety of backgrounds that they may come from, what you end up finding is kids need to have empathy in their hearts because when they get older, they may be the future Fortune 500 company owners, and we want to make sure that they can run their company but also be able to relate with others. For kids from whatever background, they need to be able to adapt to other kids and then also just, hey, be like, I understand that we might have grown up different or we may have some different beliefs, but that does not mean that we cannot respect one another, but then also be there for one another. Because I look at it for the long run, like as kids get older, I want them to continue to have these relationships because we see it all the time in affluent communities where Somebody, uncle, may work for a certain business, and then they just pull them in. Now, let's say this kid, that uncle, also has a certain business, is pulling him in, but he may pull in another kid that just don't have that same built-in network to give them the one-ups, right? Like, we forget about those privileges and those advantages of folks that's been able to achieve things at a higher rate because of opportunity. And so for those that don't have opportunity but still may have the hard work ethic, it's like, how do we match the two? Yeah, and I mentioned our friend Jennifer Azy, who lived at the time about a mile away from here and was working on the Warriors broadcast. She's now moved on to help run the Las Vegas Aces, who just won the WNBA a week ago, which, so congratulations to her. That's right. Shout out. Give her a shout out. Way to go, Jennifer. But, you know, it finally was to get the Warriors' attention, and they're our partner. We've built over 90 courts or gyms with them in 28 years to come up here and see what this program was all about. And so we were privileged during COVID to come up here (laughs) 
and refurbished the gym floor and refurbished this teen room that we're in sitting in right now. So obviously, what did that gift mean to this community and to the kids and to your program? Man, the gift was huge, right? The floor hasn't been touched in over 35 years prior to Good Tidings Foundation in partnership with the Warriors coming in and redoing the floor. It brought so much joy back into the facility itself. The kids really enjoy the space. The adults enjoy the space because it is our central place here in our city, right? We only have two opportunities for recreational use. We have this building, which is like 75 years old. We do love it, but we do need another one. And then we have Rocky Grand Park. So with those two opportunities for kids to be able to be in some sort of active, safe environment, it means a lot. I hope that this will be a catapult to a bigger development for the community. Like we haven't had anything new brought to this community in this facet, a new building, a new floor, a new park in a very long time in order for the community to get behind and be thankful and happy about. We had the opportunity to celebrate the floor over this past summer. And you saw the faces like, I mean, we had kids and adults lined up outside. It was such a joyous event. We talk about it still to this day in this community. They're always asking, you know, when is the Warriors coming back? When can we, you know, have another opportunity to just celebrate? And for me, it's like, oh, we need to do something bigger to be able to celebrate and drive hope into a community that often is overlooked because we are in Moran. But we also know that Moran has the widest disparities. So you have the richer of the rich, and then we have the poorer of the poor. And so Moran City falls into like that category where the median income in Moran City is $40,000, where our partners to the left and to the right of us, Sausalito, as well as Mill Valley, average medium income is like 150000 It's a huge disparity. And so, you know, when you overlooked for your resources, it could weigh on you. A community could quickly fall into despair, which we've seen here. So it was a wonderful feeling, and we are extremely thankful for you guys coming in and doing this labor of love. I've noticed you firsthand dealing with the kids here, and your style is very hands-on. You know the kids. You're not afraid to get on the kids. You make them have the respect that you'd want them. You can get away with that because you're from here. You are one of those kids. I mean, not only the programs you're offering, but they see you as a got to be a role model like, okay, Paul's one of us. Yeah, that's true. I do have the benefit of growing up here and being one of the stable families. But for kids and parents, even those that move into this community, I do make it really clear that my expectation is going to be extremely high of kids. I expect them to listen. I expect them to behave. And I also just expect for them to be kids and be in a joyful type spirit, but don't overdo it, right? I could be hard at times, but they also know that it comes from a place of love. Yeah, for sure. You know, it was about a year ago, you were telling me about this situation, which I think is such an interesting story and ended up being featured on CNN in many places. You and your wife, who is a principal, so obviously devoted to kids, both of you, you're fortunate enough to own a home in the area. Yeah, we purposely wanted to buy here in Marin City. So you go to have your house appraised, 
which often people do for various reasons. You're going to sell it, you're going to remodel, you're going to get a loan, you're, whatever you're going to do. So pick up the story from there. Yeah, so it was interesting, right? So in 2020, early in January, February, there were low interest rates. And we was also just finishing up a small project. It was actually a big project, but we was doing the finishing touches on a redevelopment on our home. So we just went to go refinance in March of 2020. I was at home when the appraiser came by. Her name is Jan Miller. And I thought we had a good rapport. But when the appraisal number came back, it came back underneath a million dollars. And so me and my wife was both shocked because we, you know, we had a pretty good estimate in our mind of what our home should appraise for because we did all the work. We looked at the comps in that area and we just felt like that wasn't close. So what we did is we got with our appraiser. We put in for another appraisal to come out, which isn't always guaranteed. He let us know that, but we was. We was able to then be notified that within four weeks, another appraiser was going to come out. So within that time frame, what we did is we was like, okay, we know that white people is going to get a fair shake with whomever shows up to the house to do their appraisal. So we did something which is people is referring to now as whitewashing your home. So we went through our entire house, took down all of our artwork, pictures that, you know, resembled that we lived there, went through our kids room. At the time we had a 16 or 15 year old daughter and like a nine year old son. So having to explain that to them, it was frustrating. But we went through this whole process and we invited our friend over. Her name is Jan also. Jan McDougal to come over and act as if she was Tanisha. Your wife. My wife. And McDougal is a white woman. Is a white woman. She's <laughs> okay. a white woman. And she brought over a picture of her family and sat it on our island table. It could easily resemble that she lived there. Mm -hmm. So the new appraiser came back, who, from my understanding, was another white woman younger and our home appraised for almost $500,000 more. You made $500,000 by changing the color of your home. Yes. So from that, I know it became a national news story featured on CNN. And I think, was it your wife or you and your wife were invited to the White House? Yeah, it was both of us. So in March, they flew us out to the White House for us to be part of a panel. But my wife was able to open up for the vice president, Kamala Harris, and also share our story firsthand as they look at revamping the way that appraisals happen in this country. So much has happened with our story, and it also has empowered other people to come out and tell their stories because it's just not happening to us. We're not just like one-off. It's happening to multiple black and brown people throughout the United States. And so they're looking to change legislation around how appraisers do business, but it's still going to take a lot of time for change to happen. But we do just hope that our story could be the catalyst. Right now, we are in the middle of a lawsuit because we understand that people do listen when it affects their pocketbook. So if we could hold people accountable because the feelings of being devalued for your hard work, I don't want anybody to ever have to feel that. Even talking about it now, I still get frustrated because if we didn't have the know-how or be able to feel like we could really stand up for ourselves, then I'm just imagining like who else home was devalued all these years. And is the devaluation because they're assuming a white family doesn't want to buy a black home or what is the motivation to undercut 
sometimes it might just be implicit bias, right? Like just looking and just over the years of systematic racism and the historic aspect of when people see a black or brown face, they just automatically devalue them, which means that they may feel like their property is not as valuable as if a white owner had owned it previously. So the assumption is if you're a black person, all of your assets are worth less than my assets potentially. Absolutely. So, you know, if we don't start having serious discussions about it and then implementing things into place to really root out what I'm going to call historic evil, which is the devaluing of black lives and i.e. their property is a huge one. Yeah. And so coming back here to play Marin, what are your long-term like dreams for this community and what do you hope to gain as you grow this great charity that you've just started? Absolutely. So I want to be able to take this and replicate this in other communities. So as we get Marin City really unlocked and we be able to bring people from the surrounding communities come in and see how beautiful this community is, but then also the importance of being able to have kids grow together is one of my main points. But I also want to take it to the canal area in San Rafael here in Marin County because they are also against some of the same issues that we are. And I want kids to have all of the same opportunities and benefits, but then also to drive other folks into the canal to understand like, hey, culture is important. We just can't always, because we're so involved and engulfed in Moran County, which is a very white culture, that we've got to be able to expand and have kids expand their minds early. But for me, I want Moran City to be known for youth sports. So I would really love a gym with three to four courts in it to do basketball, indoor soccer, girls volleyball. That will be a huge driver because it's also a revenue way we could put people to work from a referee standpoint and a business standpoint. So that's a huge one. Also, we have a shopping center here in which I would love to try and figure out how do we buy the shopping center back, turn that into a community land trust so it could feed our local government here in Marin City, which then will have the resources to work with our seniors in a proper way to help people with job development opportunities because we are in, well, I want to say, a possibly a wonderful community. Well, it's a wonderful community, but a community that can really be the shining light of how things could be done if other surrounding communities come and help out from a financial standpoint. Because I do, at some point, want Marin City to be able to incorporate. But if we don't have an economic arm, then it'll be hard to support a local government. So I'm saying buy this $40 million shopping center, turn it into a community land trust, allow that economic arm to help feed our local government. But I do want to be able to also take the essence of Play Moran and just go community by community throughout California, throughout the United States, because it's so important for us not only to close the activity gap, but to be able to focus in on the diversity and inclusion piece in counties and cities and communities like ours. That's wonderful. Well, you know, we'll put in our show notes how people can get engaged and get involved and contact you to help. I think what you're doing here is tremendous. I'm so happy for Jennifer to bring us up here to meet you. I know in a couple of months, 
You'll be bringing van loads of kids down to our winter wonderland and shopping for toys, which we love hosting you. And just again, congratulations on everything. No, I appreciate it, Larry. And you know we'll be coming on down there to shop. You know y'all do wonderful things with Good Tidings Foundation. And I hope in the future we can find a way to continue to work together because I do appreciate it. Yeah, my pleasure. have just enjoyed an episode of the Good Tidings podcast, highlighting the goodness in people. To learn more about and to support the Good Tidings Foundation, log on to goodtidings.org. This monthly program is brought to you by the generosity of responseresponsibility.org. Don't miss out on the Good Tidings podcast by reviewing and subscribing to us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.